Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. We do thank you for our times of celebration, for special events and days within people's lives, for weddings, for anniversaries, for the birth of children or grandchildren, for the reunion with a special friend, perhaps after many years. And we thank you that you're the God who inhabits these times of celebration. And Lord, as a community, as we celebrate together at the fun day, you also inhabit that. And so we do pray that whether it be a wedding here in the church or an event that we're involved in over at the park, that Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, you would inhabit your people and the fragrance of Jesus Christ would indeed be experienced, would be scented and sensed, would be seen, would be heard. But we also recognize that you're a God who meets with us in the challenging times, the endings, the moving on, the breaking of bonds, the uncertainty of a future. And we do think of perhaps our own circumstances or those we know of who are going through such times, times of grief, times of just wondering about what the days in the, in the future have in store. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that as you inhabit those times in the lives of your people, so you would lead us on into the programs, into the purposes, into the patterns of life that you have in store for us. And so we ask, O Holy Spirit, that as we come now to hear your word, right at the beginning, we heard how your word goes forth and does not return void, how it wants to bring forth new life. We thank you for the example of those in past generations who revealed that new life for grandparents. So we pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts and minds open and ready to respond. All for the glory and honor of Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody did say to me this morning, oh, are you preaching today? And I thought, well, that, once last week, I thought maybe that was enough. <laughs> but no, I'm here today, and then I'm away again for another few weeks, so you won't see me for a few weeks. So um, well, the folks who have been away can come back and think, oh, good, he's not on today. Um, but, but when I was drawing up my list of um, churches that I was going to visit, um, it might surprise you that, of course, there are um, a lot of different fellowships going on within, within the greater Glasgow area, whether we like to admit it or not, I think it's within the greater Glasgow area. So, for instance, there's Mosaic. That's not something you stick together with wee bits of glass. It's a church. There's the Refuge Church. Have you heard of that? There's Rehope. There's C7. There's the Tron. You've heard of the Tron. But there's also St. George's Tron. Um, there's city church. Now, city church is quite confusing because city church is either an apostolic or it's the free church. The apostolic in Cathedral Street or the free church in St. Vincent Street, both are good churches, theologically both quite different. Uh, and, and so there's all these churches with different names. You need to go there or you need to go here. So I'm going to go to Hamilton Baptist because in this area, Hamilton Baptist has a name. It's a good going church. It's a growing church. 
um, and I'm going to visit Hamilton Baptist, but there's also a free church in Cumbernauld um, that has got a good name, and I'm going to visit that. We have friends who are doing a very good ministry in an area of Edinburgh, perhaps you've ever heard of Gorgie. Have you heard of Gorgie? It's Gorgie Stenhouse, and what is it now? Dalry. Aye, what a name, yes. Uh, and our friend there who's the minister there, Peter Barber, is the minister of the largest parish in Edinburgh, a huge area, and they're doing very exciting work in the Stenhouse bit. They're, <coughs> they're doing work um, with Bethany, with um, an outreach work, with those who are homeless, and in the Dalry end of the parish, they converted what was a modern church building into the salt yard and a cafe ministry and all the rest of it. So I've been to see the minister, and we're going to visit them. That's where I am next Sunday. But it's very confusing, you see, because you get all these names and there's all these stories and everything else. But sometimes, when you actually dig a wee bit down, you find that the name and the reality are a bit removed. And so you hear of growth, but then you discover that the most of the growth actually isn't amongst white British people. And I have to be honest, there's, no, so, there's very little evidence of white British people coming to faith in Britain today. The growth is amongst asylum seekers or as amongst the large African community that now exists within Glasgow, or amongst a particular segment within our society, people whose lives in various ways are marred, are broken, are damaged. And that's tremendous. But in truth, that's not actually Uddingston. <laughs> and our ministry and our calling necessarily here. And so you've got to sift through all of that. So actually, this is a wee announcement. Uh, I'm actually going to ask the church session. I'm going to have another couple of Sundays off later on in the year because there's still more churches to see. Between now and the middle of August, I'm going to be visiting some churches. And there's another couple I want to visit. Um, one of them um, is the church of um, Stuart um, and Leslie's niece's husband, who I met with the other week, um, Glasgow Grace Church, a new church that's been set up in Glasgow. And, and, and the sort of student area, Strathclyde University, and I want to visit that one Sunday morning, a very different kind of church, not so much in terms of style, but just in terms of age spread. His congregation, he's quite old, and he's 34. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And there's another church, another Anglican church, actually, St. Silas is in the West End that I want to go and see because I've heard some encouraging and interesting things there. You could go on, in fact, I could be away for the next two years. In fact, if you carefully plan, it could be a way to retire, but I don't think that's the, <laughs> I don't think that's the idea. But when you hear all these things, how do you discern something which is genuine and also something which is relevant to the calling of our church here? Well, over these last Sundays, we've been looking at the book of Revelation, at these letters sent out to the church. And, and yes, they're sent out to a geographical area, to Turkey, to Asia Minor, as it was known that, that day. But within that geographical area, they were sent out to a whole range of churches. There was a church, for instance, the very first letter in Revelation chapter 2 to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus had a name, obviously, because it was the main city and trading city within that part of the Roman Empire. It was a city, it was a church that could directly claim its um, beginnings from the Apostle Paul. And elsewhere in the New Testament, we get the hint that very quickly on, you know, there began to, people began to say, well, you see, our church was established by Paul. So we really are, you know, we are kind of the top grade here. You were only established with by Peter. 
or by John, or even worse, by one of the, one of the other disciples, you know, the nobody's ever heard of, so you're really kind of, you know, down there, we're really the kind of Orchard Hill, the Gertnips, and the Green Banks, and the Clarkstons, and the Posh, and the Burnside, you know, really, you're just the kind of plebs. And the church in Ephesus probably thought that. They were the bees and ease, they were the kind of, you know. But we saw when we looked at the, the letter to the church in Ephesus that the Lord had some strong words. Remember Revelation 2 and verse 4, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. And then there was a church in Smyrna, which was struggling, which was under real persecution, which was probably materially poor. The folk at Ephesus, they all these poor folks at Smyrna, you know, let's, let, let's have a food bank for them and support them, because they really can have, you know. And yet, we have the words of the Lord commending them. I know about your affliction and your poverty, verse 9 of chapter 2, and yet you are rich. And then we had the church in Pergamon. Well, let's be honest, I remember when we looked at that, imagine being told that you're the area where Satan has his throne. That's not the kind of reputation many churches would want to have, you know. Big, can you imagine a big banner outside the church, you know, Satan has his throne here. <laughs> And I think that would give off the wrong message. And yet there was deep, deep spiritual crisis as they lived within a city where persecution was rife and where within the life of the church there were those who were selling the church down the river by enticing the church into all sorts of things. And unfortunately, I was already aware of, and as I read and as I reflect and think that certainly is true for the church today, where many so-called lively and active churches are being led down the river or the road towards the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And then we had the church in Thyatira, we looked at last Sunday. And they had Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. Now, whether this was an actual woman, as some people think it was the bishop's wife, um, and, or whether it was just simply a body of teaching, once again, and I think really what we're noticing, at least I hope you're noticing between the issues, these problems, is that many of the challenges, whether it's Jezebel, or the Nicolaitans, or whatever title they're given, what it is, is the persuasive argument that if you really want to be a church that has a name, you really need to get the bodies in. And if you're going to do that, you really need to think how you're going to do that by, let's just say, trying various means. And it could be borrowed, as I said before, out of genuine desire to see people brought to faith and built up the faith and all the rest of it. But it actually can often lead, and as I said already, it can often lead to churches doing all sorts of things to try and get a crowd. And it's actually even possible in 21st century Britain that you press the right buttons and offer the right product, you'll still get bums on seats. But whether it actually is kingdom work, lasting work, a work that leads to deeds and love and faith and service and perseverance. So let's listen to the letter to the church in Sardis. Chapter 3, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. 
But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen, and may God indeed bless our reading and our reflection upon his word. Sardis had a reputation out with the ecclesiastical domain. It was actually the earthquake center of Asia Minor, of Turkey. Um, twice in particular in its history, in a period round when indeed this letter was given, just, just not long before that and subsequent to this letter being given, two massive earthquakes took what appeared to be a very solid, a very settled, a very established community, not up there with the Ephesuses, not, not, you know, not, not huge or overly wealthy or, or particularly rich, but nonetheless, uh, 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 you know, a kind of Hamilton, let's just say, a Hamilton of the kind of area. And there were two earthquakes that rocked the very foundations of that city and brought it to ruin. Earthquakes, uh, uh, we don't thankfully live well. There are some minor quakes occasionally, but nothing um, too serious in Britain. But I remember many years ago, um, there were people in the church at Whiflet who were from New Zealand. And I remember talking to the lady who lived in Christchurch in New Zealand. Remember the big earthquake that took place there a number of years ago? Uh, and this lady lived in her house in a road in the sort of suburbs of Christchurch. Christchurch is not a particularly big city. You may remember the cathedral, the Anglican cathedral, and how the tower collapsed and everything else. And of course, many other buildings collapsed. She lived in just a street and there was houses. And her house was, say, on this side of the street. And it was kind of slightly up, as you often get in the street, you know, the way the ground. So it's slightly up and the houses, they were slightly lower. By the time the earthquake was finished, actually looking at the house, it looked okay. Remember saying that. Look, you know, uh, until you began to think that before the earthquake, it used to be kind of like up there. After the earthquake, it was down here. And it actually, the whole ground had tilted and changed. The folk there went up. They were quite happy, I suppose, they were up now. <laughs> but the folk on this side went so happy because they had gone down. And although the house looked fine, she couldn't. Well, she could go in just to get a few basic things and come out and stay because the house, the foundations of the house had been completely destroyed. The seemingly solid foundations had turned to sand or to mud and, 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 and it had sunk somewhere deep down underneath or perhaps not that deep down underneath. Oh, literally a hole had opened up as, as the, the bedrock had moved and fractured and phew, it went down. Sardis had that reputation. And actually it's that, and, and, and the Lord of the church, and interesting, we're told that the letter, and each of these letters picks up a picture or an aspect of the picture of Jesus Christ given in Revelation 1. We've spoken of that a few times, so I'm not going back to that. But nonetheless, each of these letters start, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The picture of the one who is the Lord of the church. He holds the church in his hand. That shouldn't surprise us because Paul, writing to the Ephesians, tells us that Christ loved the church. 
interest enough. He doesn't say loved the world. Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. And it's the church, the Lord of the church, who holds the church in his hand, who sees and knows the realities of the situation. And here is a church that appears to be fine. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Outward appearance can be deceptive. We know that ourselves in different areas of life. Somebody persuades us to perhaps get a model of car or some new piece of equipment for the home or, or even to go and visit somewhere on holiday and whatever else. And, and we're given the hype and we see the brochure and we look online. And maybe not season nowadays online because everybody comes on and says, oh, it's rubbish, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you, you get the idea this is great. And when you go, it turns out to be a bit of a disappointment. It isn't as lively. It isn't as comfortable. It isn't as easy to drive. It isn't as economical. It isn't as good as the blurb and the stories and the tales would have us believe. And the sad situation of the church in Britain today is that that is so often the case with the church. In an age where, generally speaking, in the wider domain, we want our name to be known. We want to broadcast in various ways in social media this story or that story to get so many hits. The pressure, the temptation to do things or to embrace things or to go down a road that perhaps no one else has gone down in order that your fame and your name might be known that's a very real temptation. But the Lord of the church isn't fooled. He who looks not on the outward appearance but upon the heart knows both individually and corporately what's going on. He isn't persuaded by how many hits you might get on Facebook or whatever or even by how many people appear to follow you one way or the other. Indeed, even very faithful servants of the Lord will testify to that. I remember not long before Billy Graham died, he wrote, in fact, his kind of farewell um, kind of statement of faith, the greatest evangelist the world has probably seen, certainly since the Apostle Paul, a very fine and very humble man of God. And yet he was being interviewed just, as I say, a few years before he died, before the Parkinson's took its worst toll on him. And of course, the, 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 the interviewer seeking to kind of, you know, keep in with this great leader of the church, a man who has a great name, um, said, of course, you know, you, in a sense, you must be looking forward to you get to glory. And well, what kind of crown of righteousness are you going to have? You know, going to be... You know, the Lord would be staggering under the weight, you know, practically to, to put it on you. And he said, oh, no. Oh, no. He said, there'll probably be a, a wee wifey. Well, I don't think he would say that, but you know what I mean. From Ockenshugel. We'll be near that throne of grace, wearing that crown of righteousness. The Lord 
looks upon the heart and sees the reality of the circumstances and he's not taken in. Let's sing together a hymn that recognizes that the Lord searches us and knows us. 1343, O God, you search me. You know, perhaps we just hear the tune just to remind us of it. version of Psalm 139. And look what this Lord says. Wake up. Yeah, that would wake you up. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will, know, you will not know at what time I will come to you. Even perhaps as you hear that story, your mind might go back to the story in the Gospels when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was betrayed. Remember, he went with that inner group of disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they went to that garden, to a quiet place in that garden. After all, the teaching that Jesus had given on that last night, after the, the breaking of bread, all that happened during the preceding days of that Holy Week, he went knowing what was lying before him. In that garden, we're told, he sweat great drops of blood, which literally are a sign of a massive trauma emotionally and, and physically and spiritually within the Lord Jesus' life. Let's never forget that. Let's never forget that. Once again, I'm in that place. I gaze upon you, Lord Jesus. What it meant for the one who spoke and brought everything into being, the one who strides through the vastness of the universe to kneel in that garden and to pray, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. But you remember when Jesus was in the midst of that trauma, remember the three disciples and their eyes were heavy, we're told. I think maybe that's in the authorized version or the older versions. But I think, you know, it's like, you know, even I sometimes get like that when I'm listening. I was visiting a church, one of the churches, and I have to say it was a bit warm. And I, and I suddenly thought, I know what it's like to sit here every Sunday, you know. I was kind of, you know. Uh, you know, so I think the man next to me fell asleep. So, <laughs> yes, he did. I had to give him a wee nudge. Uh, because he was about to have communion and didn't he woken up for that. Um, so, um, but, but yes, their eyes were heavy and they fell asleep. All their claims, Peter and others, all their claims of we'll be there for you, Lord. Don't you worry. We'll, you know, and everything else. And although they didn't fully understand what was going to happen, well, that's obvious, nonetheless, they had a good idea that things weren't going to be good. And, 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 and here's the Lord, their, their friend, their master, their rabbi, their, 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 the one they have followed, you know, in great distress. Now, let's be honest, who needs friends like Peter, James, and John where they go, you know, when you're going through the greatest trauma of your life, you want friends to be there, to be alert. Maybe not talking all the time, but you want them to be praying for you. And you also, when you can stand back to the situation, hope that they're praying to the Lord, that they would be all that they want to be at your time of crisis. Not having 40 winks thinking of their next you know, visit to Burger King or whatever it may be, you know. And that actually is part of why Jesus was so distressed. When he went to them and woke up, he warned them, be, be alert, wake up. Not only because they were not praying for him, but they were not spiritually alert 
and praying for themselves. How different their story in the events of Good Friday would have been if they had sought the same God that their Lord sought. But they didn't. And the challenge here to the church in Sardis and to the believers there and to those who certainly were not in the forefront of having the name but not the reality is that they are to wake up. Notice what Jesus says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. It's like almost a, a precious plant. We've been talking about growth. Last Sunday we spoke quite a bit about how God looks for that growth in grace, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, of that fruitfulness, of that outward sign of growth within us, the, the beauty of the flowers, the result of the growth that is programmed into a rose or whatever, carnation, in the very genes of the seeds. And when the Spirit of God plants the seed of God's Word into our lives, it's programmed to produce growth, that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are fruitful not only in Christ's likeness, but in our impact on our lives. How touching it was that two saints, one who now is in glory, should be commended because as great-grandparents, they revealed the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two, dare I say, ordinary punters. Two saints. Not soon to be in glory, because hopefully grandpa or papa will be a while longer, but you know what I mean. That's fruitfulness. But the church in Sardis was, it wasn't, it was like a little plant that was about to die. It was withering. It certainly didn't look very healthy. And he had said, he goes on to say, I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And again, look what he said before. I know your deeds in verse 19, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and you're now doing more than you did at first. There's to be that growth. And my friends, that's one of the challenges. What does it mean for us here as a fellowship to plan for growth? The great thing nowadays, I have to say, is church planting. We look at ourselves and think, well, you could hardly be planting a church. Maybe we should be. Maybe we should be. There's Bargeddy. What are we going to be doing about there? I travel quite often because I'm going out to Knightswood on the motorway. And all that area, the Ugarbles, Richmond Park, you know that area? I mean, you'd be saying you should be keeping your eyes on the road, no peering over that fence, especially when they've got all that stuff on it. You're not supposed to look through the fence on the motorway, you know? And set amongst all that new housing as it goes from the Garbles, Hutchinson Town, out to Richmond Park, still in the midst of all that new housing. You know what there is? Next time you go, the passenger can have a look. There's a beautiful red sandstone church building. Not so beautiful now. It's got a tree grown out of it, and it's looking a wee bit run down. It's obviously no longer a church. It's, in that sense, derelict. But it's standing in the midst of that whole new area of housing. Who, I don't mean us, but who in the church is saying, We should be doing our work there. Go to Newton Farm, the train. Hundreds of you houses where you live. I still remember Newton Church. You know where Newton Church is? Newton Church is the joinery business that you see for, again from the train. It looks like a, it looks a bit like Camion Mount Vernon Church. It's been a joinery business since the 1960s. I still remember as my, with my dad going into that church when it was closed to take the font up to the wee church at the halfway. I always think to myself, if I ever see the for sale sign, I'll be doing the lottery. <laughs> no, 
well, it would be in the lottery, but I would love to buy it back for the kingdom so that Kenny doesn't have to drive in his car away over from, but it would be a church. Functioning, active, reaching out church in that area of new housing. And finished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore, he says, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. Because if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief. And you'll know at what time I will come to you. And again, just take that story and see it in the picture of Jesus on the night he was betrayed. It's teaching about the parables and that last week about the thief in the night. All of that. This is the Lord of the church saying, be alert. I shared with you last Sunday a passage that I'm going to ask you to look up. I think last Sunday I just read it to you. Look back in your Bibles to second letter of Peter. Back a few pages. Not far. Back a few pages. I don't like going back and forward too much in the Bible because I know myself it gets confusing and you do know where he's going next. But, but I would like again just, just to look at these verse. Second Peter chapter 1. And these verses we heard last week, but again, let them speak to us today. Listen to what Peter says. He's someone who knew what it was to mess up, to fall asleep, to get it wrong, and yet also knew what it was for God's marvelous grace to change and transform, to forgive and to recommission. And he writes this in verse 3. His, that's God's, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See that pattern of growth, and see what that fruit is, that people will be productive and effective in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thank God that is the case, that many faithful folks here in this fellowship over many years and in other places, other unknown places with no, with no big names up and down our land, there is that productiveness. But we have to remember what the principles are that lead to that productiveness. Not become lazy or apathetic or disinterested or casual and careless. Remember, therefore, what you have received, Jesus says. Hold it fast and repent. Let's sing together a hymn that invites us to respond to that Lord. Hark my soul, and order him. Hark my soul, it is the Lord, tis thy Savior. Hear his word. Jesus speaks and speaks to thee, to you. Say, poor sinner, lovest thou me. 
we'll start to sing. And one of the challenges today in the life of the churches, and I've said this on a number of occasions, is what's known as over-realized eschatology. There you are, over the Sunday lunch, you know, impress your family. But see, we were speaking about over-realized eschatology. I think, well, that's one of the reasons I don't go to the church, you know. Uh, too, sounds too complicated. And what it means in practice is that basically we think it all happens here and now. And you get the two sides of the church theologically. You get the theological liberals who say, well, yes, it's all about the kingdom here and now. It's all about social justice. It's about changing wrongs. It's about setting free people from the, the things that bind and, and damage them and everything else. And there's great truth in all of that. But it's very much focused on the here and now. So the church becomes an arm of the social work department or becomes caught up in endless projects doing this, that, and another, and running themselves stupid, and actually not spiritually seeing much fruit. Or the other side of the church, where it's all about the things of the Spirit, and, and seeing you know, this is like the days of Jesus, the days of Elijah, and so we expect things on all the promises of the Old Testament, the thorn bush is being changed into juniper, and all of that is to be experienced here and now. And the kingdom is here not at hand. And that stirs up much life and impacts many people, but not always lasting fruit. Jesus makes it clear that we are to always live in the light of the kingdom which is at hand, but not yet. There is always to be that eternal dimension. That there is much work that will not see here on earth much glory or receive much, you know, popularity or fame or fortune. There is a church, I'm not visiting this one in Glasgow, where the congregation, a very large congregation of younger people, are all encouraged to have an app on their phone so that they can give. You were there one week, Nick, weren't you? Not, not the next until all, but you visited. Just, I'm glad you did, because you came back and told me. And so, you know, the offering happens on a Sunday. What you do is you start doing a Mexican wave, so you all get your phone, mobile phones out, and of course, they like, even I know this, when the app comes on, and you wave. So there's a Mexican wave during the congregation as they wave their phones, and the money goes into the coffers of the church. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> I'll set a wee app with my name on it. There actually are churches where the Charity Commission have had to come in and take over because Jesus says this, I have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. Now, listen. Listen, this is the book, Revelation, where later on, who's worthy? The Lamb who was slain for us. That's the continual song of the, the saints and glory of the angels. And rightly so, He's worthy. He is worthy. And yet, here is the one who is worthy to receive all honor and glory and dominion and might. And look at what He's saying to His humble and faithful servants. You are worthy. What a privilege that is, my friends, to know that in God's kingdom priorities, it's the least that they're the greatest. Did Jesus not say something about that? 
your worthy. And the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. The idea, the picture of purity, of being forgiven. We're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. When we stand before that judgment seat at the end of time, when the holy God looks upon us, if we are without Christ, he'll look upon us and see us in our sin-stained clothes. I don't mean, you know, the suit we might be wearing for a big night out. I mean, he sees into our soul and he sees the poison and the darkness and the destructiveness and the fallenness and the failure and the fracturedness and all of that. And as a holy God, he cannot countenance impurity and imperfection. We are lost. But if we're in Christ, Paul tells us the righteousness of Christ clothes us and he sees the purity and the beauty of his Son. Dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Later on in the book of Revelation, it's very clear that that book of life is opened at the end of time. You want to make a name, my friend? You want to have a reputation? Well, forget about that as far as the world, you know, worldly things. Just you make sure that your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what's important. And I will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Remember, that it was the Queen's in Scotland this weekend. There was a photograph taken in the paper of her in various places, and, and including in the garden party, the Royal Two. Remember, a number of years ago, a few of us were able to go there. It was a great privilege for a number of us to go there uh, and to be able to be part of that day. But I, don't, I, I think it's fair to say none of us got presented to Her Majesty herself. We just kind of peered over the crowd and stood, I remember that, stood in a wee box, probably how you look. Um, but I had a photograph this week, somebody was there, and she actually was quite near the front, and you could see her, but she still wasn't. I remember that garden party, and somebody else were there, we, Elizabeth, well, I presume you were there, you were there, we were there, whatever else, at that point, I think you were. And there was a wee, well, not a wee couple, just an ordinary middle-aged couple standing in front. Her with her best frock on and her you hat, you know, and him with a suit, you know. And the steward, one of the stewards came forward and spoke to them. Now, it was obvious, even behind you, just, they were just an ordinary, you know, middle-aged couple. But seemingly, this is what happens every now and then. You know, you get pulled out. Not to get the belt off the teacher, but... Uh, <laughs> and so the, the light, the kind of... Well, it's not a, it's a rope. Well, it's not even a rope sort of thing's lifted. And here with this couple, it was quite funny. So the woman pulled in her skirt, you know, the back of her face. <laughs> and the man kind of breathing in, as I would, you know, shoulders back, you know. And they got introduced to Her Majesty... And you could just see, even from the back, they were just so chuffed. <laughs> just an honorary pair of folks. No doubt faithful in their community or something else. And they'd been invited along by somebody. And they were there. And they were introduced to the Queen. They'll never forget that, would they? Well, my friends, Jesus Christ wants to be able to introduce you to the God of all creation, to His Father in heaven. I will acknowledge them. I will acknowledge their name before my Father and his angels. No wonder Peter, in the first letter, Peter says, the angels gaze. The, the, the angels look down and think, what a mess these humans are making, these of earth. And, and, you know, and they get things wrong. And constantly we're called out into battle to have to kind of, you know, shore them up and do this and do that and other. And yet, they marvel, Peter tells us, they gaze with wonder the fact that God should pour his blessing upon us. Why? Because he made us and he loves us and he has a purpose for us and he delights in our company. 
and on that last day, the Son will acknowledge us before our Father and His angels. That's the kind of reputation that we need to have. The reputation that matters. The reputation that eternally lasts. Not just here for a season. I must definitely be getting old. I'm very conscious how, you know, passing of the years. We had dear friends with us on Friday for a wee while and we're chatting about and she was talking about a photograph of Colin and Gregor and their two children sitting in the, the step of their, their wee conservator in their house down in Newcastle taking 20 odd years ago. You were just a wee tot. Look at them now. Just like that. Just like that. What counts is eternity. What kind of reputation will we have then? How much money have we invested in the bank of heaven? And you know, I don't mean money, money. Because that is what really matters. Grandpa Stangle, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy and the rest of the Lord. But I don't know you. Depart from my presence. Such love, pure as the whitest snow, such love weeps for the shame I know, such love paying the debt I owe, oh Jesus, such love. I'm sure all of us would love to see this church full. Not so that we get a name, but so that, Lord, you might be glorified. So that men and women might be saved. So that your kingdom will be extended. Lord, that's our desire. That's our desire for this fellowship, for your church within our community. That's our desire for our nation. We see these areas of new housing, massive areas, where church attendance is non-existent. Visiting a lady in a, actually in a, not particularly that new area, but an area of new housing in Knightswood, a flat. And she said, you know, I'm the only person I know of out of 300 flats that goes out on Sunday morning to a church. Whether that be the case or not, we are conscious of the great need of our nation. And so, Lord, we do pray that you, the Lord of the church, would graciously look upon us and see that indeed our foundations are well set. And that by the Holy Spirit, there is indeed fruit that is being born, that will last, that will endure. That we will run the race and finish and receive that victor's crown because that brings glory to you, your faithfulness, your goodness, your power to save, the fulfillment of your promise that when you began a good work within us, you said you would bring it to completion and you have. So we offer you ourselves, weak and fragile as we are, but as well as taking these gifts, take us and use us for your kingdom purposes, we pray.
in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, breath of life, come sweetly. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.